Good evening, and welcome to Ocean County Baptist Church, and we're glad to have you here tonight. We're going to be looking in James chapter 5, and if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to James chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 13, read through to the end of the chapter. We're going to be sharing a message entitled, Prayers of Righteous Men Prevail, in uh, James chapter 5. And just remember, uh, for times of prayer, uh, go on our website, and you can click on the tab up top that says Our Church, and you'll get a drop-down menu, and you'll see our prayer sheet uh, for the church listed there. And take some time, read through that list, and pray for the folks on our prayer sheet. They desperately need your prayers. And so take time to uh, talk to God about that. Also, uh, remember that we now on our website at ocbcministries.org, we have our uh, giving tab where you can give online. And so, praise God, we was able to work out all the details for that and get that up and running. And another thing is that, um, oh boy, I just forgot what I was going to tell you. Amen. Oh man, what was I going to say? Oh well. Uh, it'll come to my mind about halfway through the message, and I'll say, oh, by the way, and uh, remind you of some things uh, that's going on. We want you to, to uh, be praying for our church and uh, for each other, and uh, certainly I know uh, God hears our prayers and God will respond to our prayers. And when we pray in faith, believing that all things are possible to him that believeth. And so James chapter 5, in uh, <clears throat> verse 13 says, um, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one towards another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by a space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our God, we're so thankful to be able to come into your presence tonight. And uh, Lord, to be able to pray and speak to you uh, coming to the throne of grace in our time of help, knowing that, uh, that you're able to meet every need that we have. God, we're thankful to be able to have the Bible in front of us, to be able to read from it and study it, Lord, and uh, to be able to assess and evaluate our life, uh, Lord, our, and evaluate our needs and evaluate the answers to prayers that we've been able to experience and be able to make a very practical application of the Word of God uh, into our life. And so I prayed you'd speak to us in a special way tonight. We always want to pray for someone that may not be saved. Uh, Lord, that as they hear the gospel message, as they hear the exposition of the word of God, 
The Spirit of God may bring conviction on their soul and that they might pray and be gloriously born again. So, Lord, bless the preaching of the Word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where our text verse is uh, verse 16. It says, Confess your faults one towards another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we're kind of bringing our message off of that last phrase or sentence in that verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, and so prayers of a righteous man prevail. Uh, spiritual battles have to be won with spiritual weapons. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And every one of us have strongholds in our life that we have to deal with. We have spiritual battles that we must win. And you absolutely cannot win those battles by using fleshly or carnal weapons or uh, means by which to approach a spiritual problem. I really feel that many times the physical problems that people are having is, are the fruits or the outcome of spiritual problems that they never dealt with. You know, or they tried to deal with a spiritual problem and they tried to do it in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. And Paul would say, if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so spiritual battles must be won with, with spiritual weapons. And so the prayers of a righteous man prevail. And so thinking about this matter of praying, prayer always releases the power of God to work in the individual's life. Years ago, my wife and I were in Bible college. Our, my senior year of college, we had, uh, uh, we always worked in the bus ministry the whole time we were in college. Uh, but our senior year, we uh, helped out with a class, was called the Faithway class. And literally what it was, was uh, adults who had, were mentally challenged, adults that many of them were 50 or 60 years old and had the intellectual mentality of maybe a five-year-old. And they lived in group homes, and we would go out and visit them on Saturdays, all these different group homes, invite them out to church, and then on Sunday drive by with the bus and pick them up. We would pick up 70, 75 people every Sunday and we would bring them to church and we had our own Sunday school class in the church and we had our own oh, uh, church service uh, during the regular church service time. We had a church, special church service for these folks to try to reach them and communicate the gospel on their intellectual level. And God blessed that uh, ministry in such a great way because we saw prayers answered all the time. I remember one fellow that we would go in this one um, a group home, and uh, this fellow would always be sitting there in a chair right at the doorway when you came in. I forget his name now, but I remember every Saturday I'd go in and I'd say, hi, so-and-so. I'd shake his hand, and I'd say, I'm Mike Weigel. I'm here to visit and just letting folks know that God loves you, and uh, I just want to share the gospel of Christ with you, and I would share the gospel of Christ, and he would just sit there. He would never said a word. And I was like, does man understand what I'm saying or what? And I'd leave him and I'd go talk to some others, invite them out to church. And then on Sunday, we'd come by and pick them up and he'd be sitting in that chair and not say a living word to anybody. And this went on for months and months on end. And then finally, I came in there one day 
And I walked over and said, hi, how you doing? And he looked up at me and says, hi, Mike. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so I started talking to him about the gospel and how to be saved. And uh, that man bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. And then he literally went back into what he was before. And from that time on, he never said a living word to me. And every Saturday I'd walk in and I'd see him. Instead of going in and saying, I wanted to share the gospel with you, let you know that you've been saved, that you can be saved and God loves you, I would come in on Saturday morning and say, Boy, I'm so glad that you got saved and you trusted Christ your Savior. And he would sit there and never say a word. And so answered prayers. God can break down barriers that you and I cannot break down if we can have faith and believe that the prevailing effectual prayer of a man availeth much. And we were willing to pray. You know, we had one fellow that we used to pick up every Sunday he would come to church. I would think he was probably in his early 60s with a mentality of about a five-year-old. And without fail, every Sunday, he would talk to me. When we got to church, he would say, Mike, and he would talk like a little child. And he said, Mike, Mike, and he'd all be all excited. And I said, yeah, how you doing? I'm like, can I pray today? Can I pray today? He asked me every Sunday, can I pray today? And I said, sure, we'll sing a couple songs and I'll have you pray. I'll never forget that man. That man would get up in front of everybody, 60, 70 people, however many we had there that day, and he would get up and he would just come up real humbly and, and he would fold his hands like this. And he would just bow his head. And just in the innocency of vocabulary and voice as a little child, he would ask for God's blessing on our church services and God's blessings on us and ask God to move in a great way. And that man humbled me in reference to the character of releasing the power of God through prayer. And I thought about this, and he closing his eyes. When you close your eyes in prayer, it just simply it gives you the ability to eliminate all distractions in your life. People say, well, you don't have to close your eyes in prayer. Well, you're, that's true. You can pray with your eyes open. I often pray when I'm driving down the road. I drove tractor and trailer for years. I drove bus for years to support myself, starting ministry, going through Bible college. And I'd spend a lot of time on the bus praying, but I didn't bow my head and close my eyes. I kept my eyes open as I was talking to God. So you don't have to close your eyes, but I just really believe with all my heart this matter of praying with our eyes closed helps us to eliminate the distractions that will draw our attention away from talking to God. I believe with all my heart, folding of the hands limits as a demonstration of limiting my ability to try to take care of the problem I'm talking to God about. And so I, I think it's important for us to close our eyes and to fold our hands because we don't want to be distracted and we don't want to limit God. We want to limit ourselves so that we might be able to depend on God. And then I often think about the bended knee. I have bad knees and when I get on my knees to pray, I can't last too long. My knees start hurting really bad and I have to kind of roll around on the floor. I have to kneel on a chair, whatever it may be. But I know this, the bending of the knees is a position of humility. And when we pray to God, we come as that fellow did in our class, Faithway class, 
with our eyes closed, with our focus on God and God alone, with a heart that is acknowledging, I am not trying to work this situation out myself, but my abilities cannot deal with it. I need to depend on God and God alone. And it's not about me boasting who I am, but rather humbling myself in the, in the presence of God Almighty. Why? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so prayer releases the power of God to work in our lives. It's interesting in verse 16, it says the effectual fervent prayer. The word effectual there means to be active. In other words, if you're going to have an effective prayer life, you've got to pray. You can't say, well, I don't understand why God's not answering prayers and moving in my life and you're not taking any time to pray. So effectual is to be actively involved in this matter of prayer. And so it says the effectual fervent. The word fervent there means to fulfill or to finish. So just as important as it is to be starting and being active in the prayer, it's also vitally important to continue in that prayer until the prayer is answered, until there is a move of God on your behalf, until there is an outpouring of the Spirit of God to bring to pass what needs to be done. Why the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So prayers of righteous men do prevail. I want to think of some righteous men in the Bible tonight who were praying men and how they prayed. First of all, I see that Abraham prayed with commitment. Abraham prayed with commitment. Now we're going to have to go to different passages of Scripture so I want to look back in Genesis chapter 22, if we're going to evaluate different people in the Bible, then we have to look at different people uh, in the Bible in reference to the, where the passage of Scripture reveals who they are. Abraham prayed with commitment. You know, it's interesting in Genesis 22, in uh, verse 1, uh, we see that Abraham, three times Abraham will say in Genesis chapter 22, here am I. In Genesis 22, 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. So he's committed to listen to what God has to say. Notice as you go on through chapter 22, you get to verse 7. It says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son, and he said, Behold the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And so Abraham was committed. He was committed to respond to God when God would call him. He was committed to answer his son when he would question him. And then in verse 11, it tells us, The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. I often think that in prayer, we often talk about prayer in reference to speaking, speaking, speaking. But the amazing thing is here with Abraham, the answers to his prayer is involved to him listening and listening and listening. Three times he's called on, but he responds, here am I. If he was not listening, then certainly he would not have been able to respond to what it was that God wanted to reveal in his life. So when we pray, we need to pray with commitment 
by listening to what it is the Lord wants to say to us. First of all, what I think about Abraham's prayer with commitment, I see faith that is being tested. That's why verse 1 tells us that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And so faith tested. When your faith is tested, uh, that is a time when you need to be committed to prayer. And uh, listen, when, when faith is on the trial block, so to speak, uh, that is when you need to be faithful to praying and praying as you did before, always committed in that prayer. And uh, because of the fact that the trial or the temptation that comes in your life is not for the purpose of you neglecting to pursue God about it, but it is there for you to have an opportunity to talk to God about it. And so Abraham was committed, prayed with commitment uh, when his faith was tested. He prayed with commitment when God's will was acknowledged. In Genesis chapter 22, in verse 7, and we've read these verses already and we kind of expound about them. Uh, so his son Isaac is asking, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And so he is acknowledging God has a perfect will. He's taking his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, that God commanded for him to be sacrificed. Isaac doesn't comprehend it and doesn't understand what is going on because when they would go to make a sacrifice, they would take a lamb to sacrifice, but they're not taking one with them. So where is the lamb? Abraham was so committed to the will of God that he was willing to acknowledge to his son that God would provide a lamb. You know, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us how we're to be committed to the will of God. And uh, we're, not, we're not to turn our backs just because times change and uh, problems and difficulties change, but rather we just trust God always. I beseech you, Paul says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You understand Abraham's presenting himself to the Lord. Abraham's presenting literally his son's body to the Lord. And so Paul says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so when the, your faith is tried and tested, that is the opportunity for you to acknowledge that God has a perfect will and plan for your life. And because God has a perfect will and plan for your life, irregardless of the questions or the area of the unknown that is facing you, you're committed to pray because you believe that God's will will be accomplished in your life. And so notice his faith is tested. He's committed to prayer. God's will is acknowledged. He's committed to prayer. We see that his commitment is honored in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 11 says, and the angel of the Lord called unto him, uh, uh, him, unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know now that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, uh, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham was a man who prayed with commitment, and that commitment was honored by God. And I, I really see this because as he's talking with his God, God's answer that comes to Abraham through his prayer, Abraham sees it through. He does not hesitate. But even though he did not know the answer or the final outcome, uh, he's willing to offer his son and God provides a lamb. I just know this. When we pray with commitment, there is a point in time where God's going to honor that commitment and he's going to answer your prayer. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, because I have seen things that we have had to pray for for years. And after we prayed for them for years, God would answer that prayer. You just don't give up. You don't quit. You're praying, committed that the prayer because of the fact the prayers of righteous men do prevail. And so Abraham prayed with commitment. I see as you turn over the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 32... And so we'll turn over there, Exodus chapter 32. I see Moses praying, and Moses is praying with concern. In Exodus chapter 32, in uh, verse 30. I guess if I can get there, I'll be all right. Genesis, Exodus, okay, it's the second book in the Bible, right? <laughs> Exodus chapter 32, in uh, verse... 30 through 35, we see Moses prays with concern. Notice, first of all, that his prayer that with concern is an honest intercession. In Exodus chapter 32, in verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord, preadventure. I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. I'll tell you, when you read those two verses in reference to Moses' intercession before his God, it is a prayer that is completely honest and transparent. He goes before God and he does not hedge what, about what the problem was. We oftentimes, problem is, I think many times, we often pray in generalities. We say, oh, God, forgive me of all my sins. Well, what sin is it that you've committed and needs to be forgiven? Oh, God, pray, we pray that you forgive the sins of America. What sins? What sins specifically? Moses is praying a prayer of concern that's birthed out of honest intercession. He says, your people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. He's saying, here's the sin that they committed. Uh, they have made themselves idols to bow down and worship. And I, I'm, really, I'm really starting to be uh, impressed on my heart uh, that we need to start praying for specific sins. We need to start being honest in our intercession. And America is corrupt and it is vile. Uh, people are committing adultery. People are murdering babies. 
Uh, people are violating God's commands. People have said we don't want God in our society, but then when tragedies come, God, why aren't you blessing us? We, I believe that there must be somebody that's going to pray with real concern that's willing to be honest in our intercession before God. And so he prayed with concern. Honest intercession. Verse 32 through 35. Humble submission. Notice in verse 32, he says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. What, what, what a tremendous statement. Moses is literally interceding for the people of God so much so, he's so humbled and submission, in submission to the wrath and the judgment of God, he says, they have sinned such a great sin if it's possible, go ahead and blot me out of your book. You understand he's making a plea to condemn his soul to hell because he's concerned for the sins and the wrath and the judgment of God that will come on his people. And in verse 23, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever have sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. See, you and I can't die for or be judged for the sins of others, but Jesus Christ did. And when he died on the cross, that's why he died on the cross, because he was blotting out the judgment of God on our sin, because he took our sin upon himself and suffered the wrath of God. A humble submission. I see this prayer of Moses was a prayer of concern, because it was honest in its intercession, and it was humble in its submission. And then in chapter 33 of Exodus, I see its, its honored position. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I, shall, I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Parasite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. An honored position. Moses is interceding because he's concerned about the wrath and the judgment of God on his people. And God honors his humility by saying, well, Moses, look, I'm going to take you into the promised land, but I'm not going to be in your midst because... The people are so vile that I'll destroy them. But I'll give you the access. I'll give you the opportunity to be able to go into the promised land. Now listen, I believe God's going to judge us as a nation. But that means we must intercede for those who are lost because the consequences of sin is so severe. Praying with concern. Praying as if you're the one that's going to receive the wrath and the judgment. Praying as if, if God does not hear and God does not re respond, then there's no deliverance, there's no victory. And so we have Abraham prayed with commitment. Moses prayed with concern because prayers of righteous men do prevail. I see another one here. Look in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We see that 
Abraham prayed with commitment. Moses prayed with concern. David prayed with contrition. Psalm 51 is known as a great penitentiary psalm. It's a, a psalm of repentance because of the vile lifestyle of David. Uh, notice in Psalm 51 in verse 1 through 4, David is showing great remorse. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitudes of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly for mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold... Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And so he's showing great remorse as he offers this prayer unto his God. In verses 1 through 6 is just simply a cry for forgiveness. Oh, how we need to cry for forgiveness. You know how a person gets saved? They get saved because they're so convicted of their sin that they understand they need to ask God for forgiveness. There's not one person that gets saved by just saying a prayer that's written down. People get saved because they come under contrition. They come under the conviction of God. And that conviction of God causes them to cry out as a person that is in need of the mercy of God. And that mercy of God brings forgiveness to them. And so it's a cry for forgiveness. I see in this psalm, verses 7 through 12, there is a need for cleansing. He says, and I'll just highlight a few of these verses. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the, the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me Oh, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I mean to tell you, David has a prayer here of contrition because he understands that he has to be made clean from God. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins. That's forgiveness. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the cleaning. And that's literally what David is praying here. This prayer of contrition is he's praying for forgiveness that will bring cleansing. God needs to forgive us of our sins. God needs to forgive us of our sins. And our desire is that God would forgive us and that he would clean us up. He would cleanse us. That there will be holiness and righteousness in our nation again. There will be holiness and righteousness in our homes again and in our churches again. But where's the prayers of contrition? Where's the prayers of brokenness? Notice in the psalm in verse 13 through 15, it's a praise that is sincere. 
When you get forgiven and you get cleansed, you enter into praise. I'm really becoming mindful of the fact, and I think the reason why we struggle with praising God is we got too much sin in our life that defiles us and distracts us from praising God. In verse 13 through, um, where did I have down? Down to verse 15. Just a couple of verses, he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted uh, unto thee. Uh, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. And verse 15 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. See, once there's forgiveness and cleansing, there is sincerity in praising God. We have something to shout about. I'll tell you one thing right now. When I got saved, I got a good dose of it, and I never got over it. I've had people over the years say, Preacher, you get too excited. Hey, you ain't going to calm me down because God put a fire in my soul, and I'm excited that God took this rotten sinner and gave me new life. He forgave me, he cleansed me, and I praise his holy name. So praise that is sincere. Then I see in verse 16 through 19, it's a heart that is broken. Verse 16, he says, Thou, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken heart. In Psalm 34, in verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. See, David prayed a prayer of contrition because his heart was broken because he had violated the testimony and the grace of God in his life. You know, when the, son, when the prodigal son came to himself, it says that he acknowledged the fact that he had sinned against his father and he had sinned against his God. And I really believe a prayer of contrition is a prayer that is offered up based on the fact uh, that God has broken our heart because we have violated his commands and we have despised his name and we have turned his back, our back on him. Oh, folks, let's, let, let's pray prayers of commitment and prayers of concern and prayers of contrition. Why? Because prayers of righteous men prevail. Now look back in 1 Kings, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. Don't worry, you ain't going anywhere. For any, you're letting, you're, listen, you're in quarantine, you're locked down, you can't go so I can keep preaching, amen? You say, but preacher, I got you right where I want you because now I can turn you off, amen? Well, listen up. Elijah prayed with confidence. Oh, it's getting good. Elijah prayed, prayed with confidence in 1 Kings chapter 18 in uh, verse 36. Notice his prayer declares the reality of God. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. See, in his prayer, of uh, confidence is his prayer is declaring the reality of God. 
Don't approach God in prayer as if God's not real. He is real. Just as you're sitting here listening to this message, God is sitting there with you. Just as real as I'm standing behind this pulpit preaching, God is with me. Our prayers ought to be with such confidence that it declares the reality of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 37, notice not only does he pray with confidence declaring the reality of God, but desires an audience with God. Verse 17, 37, I'm sorry, says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me. I love it when the Bible repeats itself. How many times have you cried out in prayer? Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Then he goes on, he says, That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. He desires an audience with God. When you pray, are you praying in confidence because of the fact that it is a deliberate prayer that wants an audience with God? Listen, more so than I want people to hear me preach, I want God to hear me pray. I want an audience with God. When I go to God in prayer, I want to experience His presence. I want to be assured of the fact that He's going to answer. And I can be assured of that and I can experience that if I pray prayers with great confidence that God is there to hear me. So he declares the reality of God. He desires an audience with God. He demonstrates the power of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 38, it says, Then the fire of God fell. Well, it'd be nice if we get some prayers going like that, where we got the fire of God coming down. It says, And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah is just simply praying a prayer that is so strong and so confident that it demonstrates the power of God because when the fire came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifices, the people started crying out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It'd be nice in the church of Jesus Christ that people might shout and proclaim, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah prayed with confidence. David prayed with contrition. Moses prayed with concern. Abraham prayed with commitment. Daniel prayed with courage. Look over in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel prayed with courage. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open of his, in his chambers towards Jerusalem. He kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel prayed with courage. When the, listen, when the order was given that you couldn't pray, Daniel kept praying. Why? Prayer was, was, the prayer of Daniel was by conviction, not by convenience. It says here he opened the windows and he prayed as he did aforetime. 
And I just know this, in times of great trials, in times of great tragedy, are times when we must have courage in prayer. And I believe with all my heart we can have courage in prayer if our prayers are based on conviction and not by convenience. Now, I don't care if the government says church can't meet or not. We can still meet. The only reason why we're not meeting together is because of the fact I'm concerned about people getting sick. That's all. It isn't because Governor Murphy said we can't have church. I can guarantee you that. The amazing thing is this. We have, we have become people that do not live by conviction, but rather we live by convenience. And when the, the decree was signed and you're in danger, your life is in danger if you pray to anyone else than the image that was built up, uh, you could be thrown into prison, you could lose your life. Daniel still prayed because it was prayer with courage. We see also in verse 22 of Daniel chapter 6. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me for as much as before uh, him innocence was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. See, Daniel prayed with courage because his prayer was by conviction, not convenience, and his prayer brought protection, not isolation. By that, what I mean is his prayer didn't keep him out of the lion's den, but his prayer kept the mouths of the lions closed. And I know we can pray believing that God may not take me out of the conflict and take me out of the trial and he may not take me away from and, pro and protect me against the disease. But I know this, that God is still able to protect me in the midst of all those things. So he prayed with confidence. Then Daniel chapter 6 and verse 26, the king makes a decree, says I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And listen, I'm not embarrassed to say it, but I believe America needs to tremble at the thought that we serve a God that is living, that is all-powerful and all-strong. I believe the society needs to tremble at the thought that God is looking down from heaven upon us. That every dominion and my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall even uh, be even unto the end why because Daniel was a man who was willing to pray with courage Christians take heart have courage lift up your name the name of Jesus Christ in prayer Go to God believing that all things are possible. And be not ashamed of who sees you pray. But pray and cry out to God that God will hear our prayers and move. And his name will be proclaimed in the world in which we live. So Daniel prayed with courage. Here's the last one. Jesus prayed with compassion. And Jesus prayed with compassion. Uh, he prayed for Peter in his darkest hour. You know, in Luke chapter 22, we read Jesus warned Peter. He says, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, it says that Jesus told him, he said, but I have prayed for thee 
that thy faith fail not. And I'm thankful that Jesus prayed with compassion for Peter. He didn't pray a prayer of condemnation upon Peter, but rather in Peter's trial, in Peter's darkest hour, when Peter would deny the Lord, the darkest hour in Peter's life, when Satan is desiring to sift him as wheat, Jesus Christ has prayed with concern for him that his faith feel not, fail not. I see that Jesus prayed with compassion because he prayed for Peter in Peter's darkest hour, but he, Jesus also prayed in his own darkest hour. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and you understand that as he's hanging on the cross, all the sins of all mankind and all men and women and boys and girls from centuries past and centuries forward, uh, all the sins of every individual that walk on the face of this earth, all those sins were being laid on Jesus Christ. But as he hung on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a prayer of compassion. And I thought of this. If Jesus prayed for Peter in his darkest hour, and Jesus prayed for us in his darkest hour, then certainly you and I can pray for one another in our darkest hour. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. All people of God, let's be reminded tonight that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's be reminded tonight that prayers of righteous men do prevail. And that's why Abraham prayed with commitment. Moses prayed with concern. David prayed with contrition. Elijah prayed with confidence. Daniel prayed with courage. And Jesus prayed with compassion. What a great resume of prayer lives. What a great example of those that are effectually, fervently praying for others. Saints of God, let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us. And may we have a fervency about us that we might be able to reach the throne of grace and be able to see God pour out his wrath, if necessary, mercy for certainty, and grace that will save. God's grace is sufficient to save us and deliver us and to keep us. And so to God be the glory. Prayers of righteous men prevail. Let's bow for prayer. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much. You're a wonderful God. You're a gracious God. You're a righteous God. And you have recorded for us that we can make a difference if we'll have effectual, fervent prayer. And so, Lord, help us to learn from these individuals in the Scriptures Help us gain the heart of God and the understanding of God that we might be able to approach the throne of God in our time of need. And God, we need you every hour. So God, help us. God, bless us. I pray for healing on our land. I pray, oh God, for forgiveness of sin. 
I pray for redemption to be experienced. I pray for an outpouring of the Spirit of God that brings healing. I pray that there would be just conviction that falls for no reason at all. And we see the hand of God moving in our midst. Oh God, I'm praying for revival. I'm asking you, oh God, send a revival upon this place. Bless us for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.